The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to Scorebox. We are, of course, live here at the COP28 in Dubai. And, of course, my perfect work colleague, Karen Cho, at CNBC HQ in London. These are your headlines. The UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, hits out a COP28's net zero charter. But Exxon CEO Darren Woods tells CNBC in an exclusive TV interview that technology will be key to reducing emissions. What society ought to focus on is the true problem here, which is emissions. How, and, and the challenge here is eliminating emissions. How we do that will be a function of where the technology goes, goes and what the circumstances are and where those emissions are being uh, emitted. U.S. climate envoy John Kerry pushes back against comments from the COP28 president. Uh, Sultan al-Jabba's claim that there is no science behind calls to phase out fossil fuel. What there is science for is keeping 1.5 degrees as your North Star. And every decision we make should be geared to say, does this advance the 1.5 degrees, or is it going to be more destructive and take us in the wrong direction? Gold prices hit a record, while the S&P 500 closes at a fresh high for the year, as the market takes dovish comments from Jerome Powell to mean the Fed has done hiking rates. Uber shares rise over 5% in extended trade as the ride-hailing group announces it will be added to the S&P 500 following a string of profitable quarters. Monday morning to Scorebox. Let's get straight into some of the uh, sound we've been gathering for you this weekend because the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres says climate pledges brokered over the weekend at COP28 in Dubai quote clearly fall short of what's required in limiting global temperature rises. Guterres said the special charter announced by COP28 President Sultan al-Jabba together with 50 leading oil and gas companies fails to tackle how to eliminate emissions from fossil fuels and does not offer a clear pathway to net zero. The so-called oil and gas decarbonization charter will see top oil producers commit to ending routine flaring and venting by 2030 and achieve net zero operations by 2050. I caught up with the CEO of ExxonMobil, Darren Woods, for an exclusive TV interview here at COP. And I asked him about the language used in the final communique and whether a full phase-out of abated fossil fuels would be the wrong approach. What society ought to focus on is the true problem here, which is emissions. How, and, and the challenge here is eliminating emissions. How we do that will be a function of where the technology goes, goes and what the circumstances are in where those emissions are being uh, emitted. So I don't think there is a one-size-fits-all. I actually think part of the things that slowed us down is this, func this focus on making a step change and getting out of our existing energy system and starting something brand new. That is going to be a long, costly process that's going to be very, very expensive. Uh, instead, what we ought to be looking at is how do we get from where we're at today to a future with lower emissions. And that involves step changes in some areas. It certainly involves wind, solar, and EVs. But it also involves decarbonizing what we currently have. There are options today 
to start reducing the carbon intensity of the existing fuels pool. We can make a much bigger reduction in carbon at a much lower cost, much quicker than waiting to swap out the entire vehicle fleet. And so stay focused on, on the problem statement of emissions, keep your mind open to a variety of different solutions, and make sure the work that everybody's putting into this is focused in their areas of strength so that we can make the most reduction the quickest. Darren, you believe clearly that you've got expertise in lithium. That, that's very clear from recent deals and what have you. But you mentioned other areas there, solar, wind. Do you think the IECs, I think that's the latest acronym you're calling yourselves these days at all these companies. The IECs have got the expertise to be in wind and solar or should they just not be in that space? We're not in wind and solar. We're not looking to get in wind and solar. I, I, I refer to the electron solution, which yeah. is wind, solar, and EVs, and the molecule solutions, which are biofuels, hydrogen, uh, carbon capture and storage. Yeah. Uh, that's where we have the expertise. Uh, that is needed. If you look at any independent third party out there, they'll say you're going to need all of those to, to get to where we need to with net zero. We can contribute in that space. It relies on the same core capabilities that we've built in our traditional business. It gives us tremendous amount of flexibility to adjust resourcing as the demand for that grows and as the market for that grows. And so we're going to stay very focused in that lane. That's where we know we can contribute. Uh, Darren Wood speaking to CNBC exclusively there. The U.S. Special Climate Envoy John Kerry told CNBC countries must prioritize the fight to keep temperature rises to 1.5 degrees C in line with the Paris Agreement. He was responding to comments that came to light over the weekend made by the COP28 President Sultan al-Jaba last month. Now there, uh, Dr. Sultan argued that there was, quote, no science behind calls to phase out fossil fuels. But John Kerry says the science is clear. The G7 countries voted that there should be uh, a phasing out of unmitigated uh, fossil fuel emissions. Uh, and what there is science for is keeping 1.5 degrees as your North Star. And every decision we make should be geared to say, does this advance the 1.5 degrees or is it going to be more destructive and take us in the wrong direction? Now, there are people who are arguing that the fossil fuel industry, which is you know, obviously responsible for the emissions that are going up, uh, needs to step up and do more. I think that uh, uh, Sultan al-Jabra would say that. I say that, certainly. They can and must do more in order to solve this problem much more rapidly. And, and so... We're in a race against time, and, and I know that uh, everybody here does accept that concept. Secretary Kerry, what do you say, though, to those that still deny climate change, the climate deniers, the critics of COP28? Well, I think it's important to reach out and have a conversation. I, I, I think you need to invite them to a place where they could quietly and properly evaluate the evidence, listen to the scientists, compare notes begin to ask the right questions. A lot of the denial is driven by dark money spending in politics and ideology. And you have people who are spreading disinformation, misinformation. Some uh, of the vested interests in the status quo don't want to change. And they do spend money to prevent votes. I mean, look at in Washington. No Republican voted in the House or Senate for the Inflation Reduction Act, not one vote. And I think, and there wasn't really an effort to try to find a common ground even. So uh, I think what we need is for people to depoliticize this. This is a global threat, a security threat. And it affects migrants, 
and the flow of people into countries. People are leaving places they live today because they can't live in the heat. They can't grow their food the way they used to. They may not have the water they used to. It's too hot to work outdoors. I mean, whole bunch of factors are adding to the plight of particularly disenfranchised folks, people who don't have the money and the choice to move. And, and, and that's why people are talking about the need for a just transition here. John Kerry there talking to our very own Tanya Bryer. Well, Friday marked Leaders' Day here at the COP Summit. And, uh, well, I went out with my microphone and managed to catch up with a few of the presidents and prime ministers here over the last few days. Uh, take a listen to what they had to say. Uh, the problem that Europe has uh, today about security is also that it is not controlling the supply chains. When we have the problems such the pandemic crisis and, and then the war, we realized that we were, we were controlling nothing and depending from nations, we could uh, 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 always, uh, we couldn't always trust. We have been, um, let's say, working hard towards the 100 billion attainment and this was the key element and even yesterday you could hear the leaders of the G7 countries inviting them to be faster and more efficient than anybody else already by 2030 and that's why this is the commitment that should be the first one to solve the problem. The fact that we are building partnerships with beyond Africa on the specifics of how do we raise investment uh, financing how do we turn the opportunities, the potential that is there into opportunity? How do we reduce that opportunity into an investment, um, in, into, into an investment program that has specifics on what is deliverable? Is a very positive step. If we are not going to do anything, nothing will happen. If we try to do something, we give a planet a chance. We have to try, but we have to try harder. And is COP? 28 and the countries here, are they trying hard enough? Some are, some are not. It's always like that. But and, and the biggest countries, you mentioned G20, but the yes. US and China, the two most important countries whose presidents aren't here, are they trying hard enough? No. Some very powerful interventions there by various presidents and prime ministers. Cameron, look, we can talk a lot about what has been achieved and what hasn't been achieved here at COP so far. And, and most of the major players have pretty much come via our camera point so far to have that conversation. But let, let's get down to where the real disagreement and row is at the moment. And, and everybody, whether they know it or not, is one way or other quoting Voltaire at the moment, talking about don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. The French phrase is uh, l'ennemi du bien et le bien as well. Uh, and the point here is, should we have... Um, the oil and gas industry working with COP and the process or not. There are some people who say we can never have oil and gas as part of the solution. There are others who are saying this is one of the most important energy sectors on the, or sectors on the planet. And we've heard it from Ernest Moniz there, who is the former Secretary of State for Energy in the United States who they should be, saying they should be here as well. Now, we got the TV exclusive with Darren Woods as well, and I thought it was fascinating. This is Darren Woods, this is Exxon, the largest listed oil company, apart from Aramco, on the planet, who has never been part of the process, never been part of the OGCI, which is a lot of Western uh, and Middle Eastern oil companies looking to um, engage with the transition process as well. But now Darren Woods' is Exxon is part of the process. And, and as uh, recently as May, they didn't want to get involved in any methane reduction targets as well. They've come here, they've said, we're going to cut methane. We're going to be part of this oil and gas uh, decarbonization charter. We're going to make moves to take out tons and tons of 
filthy um, gases, methane, which is many, many times, depending on your time frame, worse than carbon dioxide. We're going to take that out of our operations. We're going to take the flaring out. We're going to take the venting out. Uh, and I think it is a very significant intervention. There will be, there'll be many people out there, including the UN Secretary General, who don't think it's anywhere near enough. And one respects that view as well. But the fact that they're here, they're making commitments, and those commitments are backed up by something very solid. It's called IRA. And if anyone wants to look at some of the IRA conditionality, actually there are some very big sticks there and fines for U.S. companies or companies in the United States more generally who are still flaring, who are still letting methane out into uh, the atmosphere. And the good news is technology has provided part of the answer. And that's really important because whether it's the sensors, the drones, the flyovers, the satellites as well, there is technology now that can spot where the culprits are. And that is a big advance, Karen. Steve, I wanted to circle back to one of the big headlines too around the COP president uh, talking about fossil fuels and saying there's, there's no scientific, scientific evidence behind those calls to phase out fossil fuels. I know some have been looking for this kill switch, the end point for fossil fuels, but there doesn't seem to be any accord to get to that stage at this point. However, as we talk about the, the carrot and the stick approach, the uh, incentives here seem to be to get renewable up to the level where it can bridge the gap. So as we talk about an endpoint for fossil fuels, actually having the practical solution here that renewables can do the trick. But what about the financing element? Because it does feel as though the financing has not been delivered where it's been promised. And as a result, some of the more developing nations that have been relying on coal, a cheap source of energy, don't have the backing, whether it's through grants and some of the commercial financing even these days, to ensure that they can transition at the same pace. You've covered a lot of ground there, Karen, uh, and, and all very, very valid points as well. The f um, I'll cover the financing issue as well, because I think that's, that's absolutely one of the pivotal points of this meeting as well. Look, all I can say is that the financing has been abysmal. We're going to get this GST and more details on it today as well, the global stock take. And there is no doubt in terms of, um, and again, apologies for the acronyms, NDCs, Nationally Determined Contributions, countries are behind on that, on what they're doing themselves. But they're also behind, as you quite rightly say, on the amount of money that they have promised for financing. But there is a lot happening on the financing side as well. The tripling of money that has been promised, uh, or tripling of renewables as well, that's been promised uh, from the, the major countries here already, including uh, the Chinese and the United States as well. And if any success is going to come from this meeting, it does need buy-in from the two world's largest economies and the two largest emitters on this planet. But you're right. The, 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 the numbers are horrific about what percentage of the trillions that has been spent so far on renewables and sustainability and getting to net zero. Such a small amount of that has trickled through to the emerging nations. It's something that was on a panel I was talking about yesterday. It's something that's debated uh, in the blue zone here every single day. And, and there are some big moves. Uh, over the weekend, this Altera fund as well, which the UA is contributing so much money to as well, was talking about the billions which it's putting in in order for climate financing as well. We've also had movements on damage and loss. It's not the headline from this meeting, but it is certainly a headline as well. Uh, and damage and loss was something that the U.S. didn't want to admit that they were part of uh, pretty much a couple of years ago, a couple of cops ago. Then we saw the framework of it in Sharm el-Sheikh at COP27. Now it's got substantial funds behind it. UA putting in $100 million, um, the U.K. with various means up to $60 million, even the U.S. contributing to that, and that's very significant. So damage and loss, adaptation, plus that uh, transition finance as well. We are seeing moves across the board uh, on all of these things, Karen.
Uh, Steve, and just quickly, can I ask you about nuclear? Because that was one of the initiatives as well, some expansion of that program. But I find it amazing. You know, it was something that uh, many were seeking to wind down on the back of the Fukushima nuclear disaster in Japan. Policy ideas changed on the back of that problem. But now as we look through the lens of 2023, we have a lot of geopolitics as well. So from the safety aspect, how does nuclear get expanded from here? Really interesting you say that, and you've heard me banging on about SMRs and uh, these smaller nuclear reactors that aren't these colossal great big things that we worry about in areas such as Zafaritza and that as well. I mean, look, we actually spoke to the head of the nuclear agency, didn't we, on, on Friday as well, Mr Grossi, about the role as well. We've had Ernest Moniz here just now, the former Secretary of State for Energy in the United States, talking uh, about the role of nuclear as well. So the fact that it is on the table and part of the conversation. Look, Karen, as every expert here has said, we're going to need everything as well. So it's absolutely fascinating that nuclear is becoming um, less of a toxic issue, if I can put it that way. I know it's pretty unfortunate terms, but uh, it is becoming part more of the mainstream conversation here. Look, you can keep up with all of CNBC's coverage from COP28 uh, on our website. Uh, of course, that is cnbc.com. And I tell you, do forward slash COP28 and you'll find all of our content there, Karen. Coming up on the show, the S&P 500 hits a fresh high for the year despite Fed Chair Jerome Powell's efforts to tame rate cut expectations. We'll have more on the market action next. Plus, we'll be back at COP28 looking at the role of developing countries in climate change. And later on this hour, our team on the ground in Dubai will discuss energy prices and energy security with the CEO of Octopus Energy. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Shares of Evergrande are higher today after a Hong Kong court granted the company more time to work out a debt restructuring plan. The embattled Chinese developer now has until the 29th of January to present a plan alongside its creditors. Shares of the company are down more than 80% so far this year. Let me take you to some of the market action and uh, we're certainly another stellar week for stocks. The S&P 500 bouncing to its highest level for the year in terms of performance, a uh, fairly stunning return, 19% high for the year, just 4% off an all-time peak. Uh, the market's Friday listening to messages from Jay Powell he was still saying it's too early to talk about rate cutting rates. So again, that pushback to an extent. But the market overall took his commentary somewhat dovish as he's talking about inflation moving in the right direction. And this is a market that has very much been working on the page that, look, 2024 will bring those rate cuts. And you've seen a lot of movement across the board in various assets in terms of the market action more broadly across the trading week. Uh, real estate, interest rate sensitive part of the market was one of the areas that was rallying. We didn't see as much confidence in the communication services part of the market as a result. Uh, some of that earlier steam we've seen through November just coming to an end, but uh, still eight tens up for the Dow, which has been leading the charge in recent sessions, thanks to some of those gains in the real estate market. 
In terms of this week, a ton of information we'll be getting from the jobs market with job openings. We've got uh, ADP, initial jobless claims, rounding out the week on Friday with payrolls. That's all going to be key for market direction. And uh, factory orders, trade deficit, wholesale inventories, the Fed's reading on consumer credit. So there will be a lot to digest. It could be important for the Treasury market. And we've seen a huge move in a relatively short period of time. That two-year yield falling about 41 basis points over the trading week. So a very strong performance for those bond prices. We're 4.59 on that two-year yield versus the long end, which you can see well and truly pushing off that 5% handle in recent uh, weeks 4.23 where we are this morning wti brenton gold so as we're talking about market appetite it's been interesting that we haven't seen it for oil at this stage and even with events on the weekend just posing that broader question around whether the conflict around israel and hamas could still broaden out with attacks on commercial vessels and warship in the red sea the market just still cautious and you haven't seen that geopolitical premium come back into the price of brent and wti demand still quite key here but what you have seen moving fairly aggressively has been the gold price of late uh, the drift in the yields the drop in the dollar all providing some cover for prices on spot gold. We've come off the highs. We're at 2,100, uh, which was the high level that we saw, but we're now 2085, still up seven tenths of a percent. Steve. Karen, thanks very much indeed. Uh, delighted to welcome onto our set here at CNBC at COP28, Mahmoud uh, Mohedin, who is UN climate change high-level champion in Egypt and, uh, and, and, of course, in Egypt, uh, finance minister of investment in, in a previous incarnation. Nice to see you. Great to see you. Look, Thank you. You are an EN, a UN climate change high-level champion. Um, what do you make of this unsavoury row that we're seeing between the UN and indeed the COP hosts already. Did you, I, I, difficult for you to dive in or do you want to make a comment on what we're seeing about Mr Guterres just and, and Dr Sultan having this spat? Well, there should be ultimate convergence of the ideas and approaches. And um, actually for developing economies and emerging markets, yes, there is that interesting debate about uh, phasing out, uh, phasing down. Uh, but the emphasis from Sharm el-Sheikh uh, last year was about the just energy transition. Yeah. Some, many countries in the advanced um, um, world can really do uh, far, with a faster pace the, uh, the cut of emission through uh, abolishing the use of coal and using more renewables. But in the case of developing economies and emerging markets, many of them still need transition sources of energy like uh, natural gas. Yeah. Coal is, is not really very much a, a big case now for many countries, especially with many initiatives like with JetP to uh, rely less on, on coal. But I think uh, natural gas in particular is a big uh, issue, especially for many African countries. But what about the money? Uh, and, and the, yeah. OK, great. The, the 100 billion will be achieved in the, in, in the latest stock date. They, they will have probably got there in the last 12 months. But they haven't got there every other year as well. And we need an exponential ramping up of that money. So much money is being spent on transition, but it's not being spent in the emerging nations because the money hasn't been forthcoming. It's very much hard to accept the methodology of counting the 100 billion. But even if you accept it, um, it's just a drop in the ocean. You may have seen some of the recent reports talking about a gap of $2.4 trillion. Um, $1 trillion of that should be coming from external finance. So in a, in a very good estimate, the 100 billion is only 10% to bridge the gap. 
The rest would be coming from private sector that has demands when it comes to business environment, de-risking, leveraging by the multilateral development banks. Multilateral development banks themselves need to have a factor of increase of no less than three from their current level of around 80 to 120 billion. They need really to be enhanced in their capacity to lend. And the, again, there is a very big, perhaps generous assumption that the majority of the funds should be coming from uh, domestic uh, resources through domestic resource mobilization of around 1.4 trillion. Hard, especially for countries suffering from debt today. So we need to be more innovative in uh, finding solutions. That's why I celebrated the announcements of the $30 billion uh, sure. in the UE. From Al uh, exactly. But, but, you say we need to be imaginative. The US has just been imaginative. They've just got something called IRA, where they expected hundreds of billions. They've got trillions as well. If we get good policy on a global basis, the money from the private sector will flow. IRA has shown that as well. And does good policy involve having a carbon price? Finally, uh, going to the minutiae of this, but Article 6.4, can we get some progress? IRA or IRA, great news for the US. Great news for the US. Absolutely. Uh, great to see the, uh, uh, the, the two parties agreeing on it. But it's challenging two taboos of the past, industrial policy and the second, that the industrial policy will be subsidized. So we are in a very much in a paradigm shift. But why don't we subsidize that, Mahmoud, rather than subsidizing energy itself? And we could take trillions off the energy subsidies and, and put it into exactly. renewables. And this is my point. 7% of GDP of the world, around 7 trillion, is going to fossil fuel. So if we need to have some sort of a shift, that needs to be allocated. But in the transition, we need to be mindful of the spillover. The IRA is making the U.S. more attractive to invest, uh, investors. Of course, the U.S. investors themselves, who are really dominating many of the scenes, but actually some of the funds, including from emerging markets and Europe, are considering investments in the U.S. So why don't we get better policy in the emerging markets, so, better policy in Europe, exactly. and then there'll be more, because we know the, the private sector, I was speaking to Henry Fernandez about this, yep. there's trillions that wants to go into this, trillions and trillions, way bigger than the money that's gone into IRA. S subsidies alone will not fix it, but improving the business environment, leveraging de-risking, uh, building up the pipeline of bankable investable uh, projects. And perhaps through you, I can tell you, we have more than 420 answers for those who say that we don't have a pipeline of bankable and investable projects. No, you are wrong. Worked hard for two years with UN system, with BCG, with investment banks, with GFANS, and with the climate champions. And we have projects covering climate action areas from renewables to adaptation like water management system and food and with sustainable development goals impact. So let's go back to basics. Well, we've had sure. a bit about the money being sucked into the US from IRA as well. To get that same money into sub-Saharan Africa, to get that money into developing Asia as well, to get it into parts of Latin America as well, what has COP got to do to deliver? Well, there have been some interesting um, announcements and developments in, in this field from the very beginning, starting with the, with the loss and damage fund. This is basically um, a last resort uh, fund that should alert us if we're not doing properly, properly well in mitigation and adaptation, we'll be stuck in losses and damages, which are roughly now around 150 billion. But more positive is many initiatives coming from the private sector in terms of uh, support with foundations as well, um, the, um, the Altera um, example, and the good news coming as well from the green 
uh, climate fund. It looks like not a very big number in the bigger magnitude of things, 12 billion, 475 million coming from 29 countries. But the aim of this fund is leveraging and partnering with the private sector. And we need as well to revisit, as, as, as in the case of the U.S., we need really to revisit the budgets of the state and yeah. prioritize better what they are doing. My very generous directors, give me 20 seconds for you to actually answer the question about carbon credits. Are we going to get some progress on that one? Yes, but we need standards, integrity. I'm very and proud. global buy-in. Exactly. And we have the example of ACME, which is the African Carbon Market Initiative initiated last year with great potential. But what we need is standards. And I was talking to the Europeans who helped the Chinese to build their carbon market a few years ago. They can lend the same technical assistance and supports for it's all about standards, integrity and governance. Mahmoud, I, I, I love the conversation. Thank, Thank you, you so, much. so much indeed for joining us. Really nice Thank to you so see much for you, being here. Mahmoud Mohedin, who Thank is you. a UN climate change high level champion uh, for Egypt as well. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.